Hi, everyone. I'm April. And I'm Christine. Before we get started, we wanted to warn you that the following content contains adult language, activities, and violence, and may not be suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Southern Discomfort. This is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. Southern tales of the weird, wild, mysterious, unusual, voodoo, Voodoo. cryptids, hauntings. Are you intrigued yet? This is Southern Discomfort. Southern Discomfort. And now, your hosts, April and Christine. Hi, everybody. I'm April. I'm Christine, and this is Southern Discomfort. Christine, what has seduction, corruption, and is damp, dark, and decadent? Ooh, sounds like Storyville. Yes. The one-time red-light district of New Orleans that began at the turn of the century. This was the 16-block vice district in New Orleans from 1897 to 1917. Since we're in New Orleans, Barkeep, what's the drink of the day? It's the world's oldest cocktail. A Sazerac. A what? A Sazerac. Oh, a Sazerac. Let's go get one. Let's go. So we got our Sazeracs. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So the Sazerac, it was invented by a Creole pharmacist named Antoine Amade Pecho. And he made this from a secret family recipe. Um, They used to... A double-edged, um, double-ended cup, like the jigger. Yeah. It was known as a... Uh, Is that why they call it Peixos? Yeah, the, bit- oh, wow. the uh, bitters, yes. Yeah. Okay. For, for um, Antoine Amade Peixo. So uh, they used the, the measuring cup, and it was pronounced coquette. Uh, um, and so when they heard the French ordering, that's what they called the drink when they were ordering it. And so the Americans, when they heard the French order in the the cocktail, they uh they that morphed into cocktail. So the word that we know today as cocktail came from um from the French from this out of New Orleans. In, out of New Orleans, yeah, yeah. Very so, cool. And it was crowned the official drink in New Orleans in um, 2008. So it's officially on the the books. What's interesting though is like I've never had one in this right. city ever. Right. Well, okay. I remember watching Treme. Yeah. And that was real big there, and I thought this is campy. Right. Like okay, they just kind of felt like it, they shoehorned that in there, mm-hmm. and I I should have um I should have fact checked and looked it up because I actually you know, and that was did a, I know? that was post Katrina said that was around <laughs> uh right after so. Between two two thousand six and eight, maybe when it was crowned the oh yeah yeah two, mm-hmm. wonder if it had anything yeah. to do with the show I don't know uh, I was not a fan of that show I tried it yeah I was not a fan it was campy don't you think like it was it just felt like it was um I don't, just too sensational yeah it was too sensational and it was to know it didn't feel authentic right it felt yeah. it felt forced yeah that's yeah. <clears throat> Even though I watched it, I watched all of it. I watched the whole thing, but so um, so the recipe, if anybody's interested, is um, two sugar cubes and two ounces of of uh, cognac. But uh, you can also use rye whiskey. 
the original Sazerac was made with cognac because of the the French origin. But there, at one point, there was an epidemic of um, an insect epidemic with the grapes, so they were they could not get cognac. So then that's when they switched to rye whiskey, which um, was much easier to get in the day. Um, so and then you want a quarter ounce of absinthe, which three. tastes like licorice. <laughs> oh, I, see, I love black jelly beans. Ugh. So that's what that reminds what? me of. So three to four dashes of Peugeot's bitters, and a couple of dashes of I'm not going to have our time saying this. Agostina bitters. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. I'm, that's not French. Not that I know something, French. But something bitters. Yeah. The other bitters. So then you want a lemon peel. So you want to pack an old-fashioned glass with ice. And then the, the second glass, place the sugar cubes and add your lemon peel and muddle and let that sit. So then you want to add your two ounces of rye or a rye whiskey or cognac. And then, um, so this, that's the second glass containing the bitters and the sugar. So then you empty the ice from the first glass and coat the glass with the absinthe. Or you can use herb saint here as well, but um, it's going to give you the same flavor. Even though it's not the same thing, I get it. So you empty the whiskey and the bitters and the sugar into the second glass, and then you garnish with your lemon peel. So there you go. Yeah, it's um, it's not really... Something that that I enjoy, but um, I did enjoy, you know, the process, watching the process of it being made and um, all of the different uh, ingredients, I guess, you know, steeped in French culture, just like the city. Right. And that's, um, I can see, like, where it harkens back to the, the 1800s the turn of the century. I could, you know, I can, I can see that. But now that we've come so far along with our choices and what we can drink with alcohol, yeah, this is not my first. Yeah, choice. that was that'll never be my go-to ever. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so getting back to Storyville. Yeah, take us back. Okay, I'll take you back. But, but actually, before that, I think it's very important to um, to remember because um, Christy and I. Christine, I'm very sorry. <laughs> no, call me Christine. Here's here's a little note that I'm gonna uh, uh, that I should have said from the beginning. I actually did think about this. That um, I am going to try my very best <laughs> to call her Christine, but she's my sister, and she has always and forever been known as Christy. So I've already broken that. Christine's that. my grown up name, <laughs> right? <laughs> so. There you go. I think it's important that um, we give some historical background. So first, New Orleans was created before Louisiana was American state, but it was under the French and then Spanish rule, and then that was about 40 years, and then briefly under the French rule before it was included in the Louisiana Purchase in 1803, then making that part of the U.S. Yeah. So they, very, very old city. As a matter of fact, it just turned 300 right, recently. Right. So. Right, and so early on, it was very difficult to keep this area populated. It was just a bog, like a mosquito-infested bog, and um, it was uninhabitable. Yeah. Okay, so it only had, so there was a bend in the river, in the Mississippi River, and that's where they built um, New Orleans, which is very, 
strategic. Um, there's, and then they only had like a little sliver of land to build upon on that. And from that, then that's where you have like the Vucre, which is the French Quarter. Yeah. Basically silt. Right. Yeah. They built the city on sediment and silt. Right. Because um, it was even stated that it was uninhabitable. It was very unattractive, you know, and people from France didn't want to come over there. They didn't want to leave their cosmopolitan city to come over to an area which had mosquitoes and alligators and swamp and swamp marshy area that had um, basically huts. Like they, they said they had 200 houses over there. That's what they were trying to tell them. They were trying to like build it up to make it sound attractive to move over there. But they were but not actually <laughs> houses. It's very, it's Mud much, huts. Much fewer than that and it was houses. So, I mean, it was huts. So there's that. They even went so far as to when in their paintings to false fake news and propaganda, they painted New Orleans to, um, to as advertisement to get the French to come over. They painted mountains and streams. Oh, like yeah. Was, like, <laughs> the mountains below sea level. Right, right. Those mountains. Just to try to get them to come over there. So they, And then they get here and they're like, what is this shit? Uh, you're right, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh, how terrible. Like, can you, can you imagine, like, the ones who did? And if they ever got back, going when they went back to France, they were probably like, don't ever, ever <laughs> never, go there. Never, never go there. You know, because they were sophisticated, and they had their opera, and they had their, you know, they had their, their culture. They're very, very cultured. So, they, um, <clears throat> so even, oh, this was interesting. Even Pierre-Francois-Xavier de Chavois described New Orleans in 1721 as a... Right. Sorry if there's anyone from France listening and think this is absolutely horrendous. Very sorry. So so he described it as a place of a hundred wretched hovels in a malarious wet thicket of willows and dwarf palmettos infested by serpents and alligators. I mean, who wouldn't want to go there? Serpents. Serpents. <laughs> they, did, they have straight up serpents. And serpents. serpents. So, I mean, so, sign me up. Right. So the, obviously their efforts to um, try to market life under the underpopulated Louisiana failed miserably. Yeah. And so they, I don't know why. So, but right, okay. right. Well, <laughs> they, uh, Sorry, she only has me. <laughs> so they turned <laughs> to the French. What are they to do? So they turned it into a, a penal colony. So they emptied out their prisons. They swept their streets and they forced prostitutes, convicts, vagabonds, all the immigrate to Louisiana. Yeah. So, um, which is, you know, exactly exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. Right. The prostitution. That's right. And, um, so, the, so the first little settlement. 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 That was devastated by a hurricane because on top of all the serpents and alligators, mosquitoes, bombs. But wait, there's more. Right, right. Does this sound like something you'd want to do? Yeah, it sounded great. There's hurricanes that you have to worry about. So in 1721, it just what there what little that they had established was just decimated. Mm -hmm. So then this is pretty interesting because at, at that point they're like, okay, so then we get to start all over. They blew down our huts. 
I wonder, think it's a start So over. what would happen if you get there and you're like, really, like, we just got, like, screwed. Can we go back now? Right. Like, I'd be like, I need the next boat out of right. here. Right. And you know, you, you probably could, but it probably took forever. Like, I, what's the next boat? <laughs> you went back to France. That probably took forever. Yeah. So, um, so, so then they decided they had a engineer come and he's decided who's going to lay out a grid pattern so the view carré which is the french quarter that yes. was actually that's why it's if you look at it it's all like straight lines and it's uh, it is a grid pattern it definitely is and it's <laughs> it's the the reason why um getting around in that area is so just <laughs> absurd okay, i mean so today I'm, I'm, i am going to talk about this and i will get to storyville i promise but at that bend of the river the river actually goes from east to west and it's not moving from at that point it's not north and south so a lot of people do get confused even though i had an argument with my husband about this because he's very navigational savvy and I'm not. So it, oh, neither so people do get confused at that point when the with the river is right cuz that's the very sharp bend. It's where they built New Orleans as a bend and that that the point when you narrow down on it it's running east to west. So if you're trying to use it, landmarks directionally yeah. it will just f you up directionally. Yeah. Oh, it will. I, I mean even still to this day it does me too. I mean but you know Never mind, you're driving vehicles on roads <laughs> right. that were originally designed for horse and buggy. Right, that's right. So you've got these narrow-ass streets, right. and then directionally, you're totally confused. But um, And I don't even know if GPS is caught up, but I lived down there in, 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 up until 2004 well, for a little while. Not, not the whole entire time, but for two years leading up to 2004, just before uh, Hurricane Katrina. And at that point, like the GPS would just give up. Mm -hmm. It still does. It would take you to like dead ends. Like it would just. It still gives up. <laughs> okay, I thought so. so. <laughs> I mean, I, I would too. I'd be like, yeah. you're on your own. And then the streets change names too, which is a whole different topic because you know the the elite lived on one side of this you know that we're gonna name this. I think camp is one of the only thing that comes to mind. Is another further down it's the same street but it's another name and that's another thing about living in louisiana people um there especially the ones that are from there and live there forever they have very they are very adamant about which i love them and this is not a, a derogatory not uh, a remark about that about them at all but they are very adamant about like where they live as far as like metairie and kinder because when i moved down there it was all new orleans to me you know this is all new orleans that's what I considered, and they were like, uh, no, I live in Kenner, or Kenna, Kenna, Kenner? Kenna, brah. Yeah, or I live in Metairie, you know, this mm -hmm. is our New Orleans proper, and they were very, like, serious about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I couldn't say. Very, very divided. I couldn't say, oh, this is all New Orleans. They, were, they you know, no. definitely pointed that out to me. No, um, New Orleans proper is New Orleans, and anything that lies outside of that is it's it's respective suburb and they'll let you know that in a yeah, minute yeah and that's fine that's okay i was an outsider i get it yeah and another thing too was so funny to me i, I tell everybody to this day that um i tell this story i'm gonna uh but we'll get back on track here eventually i um every when i lived down there and I, I went to school there i was going to uno and i met a lot of people and the first thing you say is like where are you from oh well, i moved here from baton rouge 
Baton Rouge. Oh, um, I think I drove through there at one point. Yeah, I think, yeah, we did. We drove through there. We didn't stop. We didn't say we, we drove through there. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. We come here all the time, but it makes sense because yeah. why would you? They have everything Baton Rouge does in them more. Yeah. So anyway, that was, that. I thought that was cute. But um, also real quick, the Crescent City, in case, for those of you who don't know, is nicknamed the Crescent City because it is shaped like a bowl. It sits it has, in a bowl. It does, and it's um, bordered by Lake Pontchartrain, which is a huge lake, um, the Mississippi River, and then uh, bayous and tributaries as well. And also, this was pretty uh, funny. The Pearl River, too. Yeah, and the Pearl River. But people would always say, uh, they would always talk about how, oh, if we ever flood, we are going to be screwed. We're going to be screwed. We're, like, surrounded by water. And that, that was up until 2004. That was just one year before Hurricane Katrina. But that was always a fear, too, because it is below sea level. Right. But, yeah, so there's that. And then, um, but anyway, getting back to... So the history of New Orleans. Well, and then, you you know, Storyville, we can talk about it in relation to where it's where it where it is in relation to Storyville or where Storyville was in back of town. Yeah. Back of town. Which was if you think about it, it's like, uh, well, I'll let you, uh, you know, tell our listeners, you know, (laughs) right yeah absolutely so i'll let you lead us into that so the boundaries um what christine's referring to back of town was um past view correa the french quarter so it's bound it was um lakeside of basin street to riverside of robertson and then uptown of eberville i say eberville some people say iberville which was um is that was at that time called Custom House. Yeah, but it's Iberville now, and we're going to talk about Custom House, which is now Iberville. Yes, to Uptown um, St. Louis Cemetery One, and then um, did you know, Christine, that Canal Street was named that because they were going to build a canal all the way to the river there on Canal Street, but they I did. never did. I did. I didn't know that. It's supposed to be a canal. Yeah. That's it. Yep, sure did. And it's one of the main, um, well, if not the main artery into the French Quarter. Right. But, um, so just, as far as the history is, just know that there was, um, it was majority Catholics, it was French, they they had um, started to populate this with with prisoners, convicts, vagabonds, prostitutes, but uh, then also um, people from Canada, France, well, of course, France, but Germany, West Indies, Spain, and Africa. And this is how we, that whole amalgamation is how we, we, New Orleans gets its um, food. It's, it's world renowned for its food, its music. It's just whole, Yeah, all of that. The celebrations, the dialect. And so also before the Civil War, New Orleans was the most, had the most free people of color in the South. Right. Um, it and was, I don't think that that's a um, widely known fact either. No, I, I don't think so either. But um, in 1840, it was the third largest city in the United States and then the largest city in the American South up until World War II. So, all right, so there you go. So we've got the, the background in New Orleans. So before Storyville, to, <laughs> we got the background, but here we're going to give you a little bit we got more the back, background. We got the background <laughs> for the background. Only, only because of what I was going to say was that just... <laughs> The sw- they called it the swamp, 
which is what the vice district was before then. And for six cents, a man could get a bed and a drink and a woman for the night. This was South Robertson and South Liberty. So. Or a Picayune. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Which is, I believe, I mean, some people say it's a coin piece um, worth five cents, six cents, something like that. But it's yeah. called a Picayune. There you go. That's yeah, that's right. So this area became to decline. And in 1860, Basin Street became the main part of Storyville. And this is when you see the vice start to rise. Yeah. So I think, you know, Basin Street's referred to, well, Storyville has, you know, a few nicknames. The Vice District, the District, um, and, pausing so much, and um, Basin Street was actually called The Line. It was um, actually in 1908 when the new rail station um, opened, it dropped, that's where people were dropped off at The Line. Um, There was a stop right there, so as soon as you got off the train, and I'm talking about John's, you know, that's what they referred to these men looking for a good time basically um you know as soon as they get on off the train and onto the line they see you know women um dressed in oh yeah they they were like advertised they're like come here big guy come here daddy yeah they were waiting on the balconies (laughs) in the windows windows. they were waiting and i guess it would be reverse catcalling you know that's right (laughs) that's so true Right. Come here, big daddy. You know, you said the nickname. They all. It was also called the Tenderloin, too. That's true. That's yes. true. That came from New, or- uh, New Orleans. That came from New York. Uh, they called their red, the red light district the Tenderloin. There were also other red light districts uh, around the, the country. You know, um, there was the Barbary Coast in, in California. Yeah. And then they had um, Virginia, Virginia City, Nevada. Yeah. And also San Antonio and... Um, San Antonio and Waco in Texas had tried to move their vice district uh, to one uh, localized area, which is actually why makes that's why Storyville worked. It was a public experiment because it um, it was the first it was the uh, the first time that a city was successfully able to move its vice district confined to one area. Mm-hmm. And so, was- yeah. And so what, what the most, okay. So I would, I want to say what I love about this idea is how they didn't, the ordinance did not make prostitution legal in within the 16 to 20 block area of Storyville. What it did was, is it made prostitution illegal everywhere else in the city. That's right. So basically, it was a uh, way to um, regulate prostitution, um, which I think, you know, financially from a business standpoint was pretty genius. Right. And, I, and that's that's a good point. And what we should say here, because I'm, I'm not sure if we did... So Storyville is actually named for an alderman, Sidney Story, and he was the one who wanted to do that, to put it in back of town so that, like you said, to keep New Orleans proper, you know, it's yeah, respectable get it, area. Get it somewhere out of the way where, you know, visitors and tourists and New yeah. Orleans elite, even though New Orleans elite 
were investors in Storyville. Get it, get right. it away from everything. Let's hide it away in the back of town, but let's also profit. Yeah, off of it. Right. So, um, so in eighteen ninety seven, Sydney Alterman, Sydney Story, he's Alderman, Sydney Story, he proposed the ordinance for this, and so much to his dismay. That's where the nickname came from. That's yeah. why we call it Storyville is uh, for him. And he had his name attached to this. And this was something that he didn't, he he didn't want to be attached to the vice. He, he was trying to do something about it. And so um, he, uh, but the, then too, I think it's very appropriate that it is named Storyville because once we went, dove into the research part of this, it's really a story within a story within a story. So many stories. Yeah. But um, and very profitable um, for its high alcohol sales as you know, obviously prostitution is the main reason that people are coming here, but it was profitable for alcohol. It was profitable for tobacco. Um, Everyone made money. Yeah, yeah. everybody. And, and I even read, too, that, you know, everybody, so to speak, wanted a piece of the pie like New Orleans elite. Um, um churches like there were all these different organizations that wanted wanted in on it i mean it's obvious for obvious reasons right and it did they employed they employed like cab drivers Mm -hmm. and bartenders because in this area there were salons bars gambling places music cafes restaurants dance halls so that employed all the people who had to work there as well and then also there were the brothels and the madams and then the prostitutes. But women back then, it's important to know that, that they were not able to express their sexuality. They couldn't be sexual at all. If they even thought about having a good time drinking, having sex, then they were considered a whore. Yeah. And the ladies were the ones who would be sophisticated and married. And But there also weren't jobs uh, to speak of. I mean, there, were, there weren't much... It wasn't much as far as like the job opportunities for women. They could go work in a factory for twelve hours, but or you could work at Storyville in one night. Yes. Make what you can make in a week. Well, so right, and so New Orleans at the turn of the century, um, or right before when um, Storyville was annexed. Uh, you know, it's post Civil War. It's post slavery. There's no slave labor, um, and. In particular, women of color didn't have any opportunities for um, work other than domestic, like housekeeping or childcare or things like that. Because, you know, one thing that I think, you know, we would be remiss if we didn't mention is the fact that Jim Crow laws were um, in full effect. You know, you have the Plessy versus Ferguson case in 1896 that upheld um, the constitutionality of segregation. So basically segregation was legal. Right. um, In facilities. Um, So you have, um, well, in some civil liberties too, like marriage, you couldn't, you couldn't enter, you know, you couldn't interracial marriage was against the law. So, you know, you have segregation, um, so women of, of color um, were also, uh, it, well, we'll get into the, we'll get into the whole exploitation of the third class in um, New Orleans in a bit. I went way too far ahead. No, Just that's blah, okay, blah, 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 blah. because Louisiana had a large 
mixed race population and so it blurred the the color lines and um that's very important that you brought that up and we can even talk about that right now if, if you think this is well a good time i think it's in, well you know because we're going to talk about the um the Octor the Octoroon women, but um, you know, it's important to know that there was a third class of people in New Orleans, you know, white, black, and Creole. Plessy versus Ferguson was an important case because this established the doctrine of the separate but equal laws that allowed states for the first time to legally segregate the races. So Homer Plessy he brought suit because of the difficulty enforcing segregation in states like Louisiana. Um, Louisiana, they had a large mixed-race population, and this made it difficult to determine where to draw the line in terms of separating the races. So um, this doctrine of the separate versus equal, it grew out of the Plessy versus Ferguson case and became the standard for all segregation ordinances after that decision. So in the first city to pass a racial segregation ordinance, that was actually Baltimore, Maryland in 1910, and then it was 1954 before Brown versus the Board of Education overturned Plessy versus Ferguson. Right. So, and with that, um, along with Jim Crow laws in full effect in New Orleans, it made um, class distinctions. Um, actually, Storyville bent the rules of class distinctions because yeah. um, there was a class of women uh, referred to as Octoroon, which um, was essentially one-eighth African-American, but looked white. Um, right. However, the fact that they were one-eighth African-American was um, exotic and forbidden and the most preferred type of prostitute in Storyville. Right. And, and could only be patroned by white men. Black men were not allowed to patron prostitutes in um, the... In the front part, in the, right. In the higher-end brothels with these octoroon women. Right. Um, also did find where... They could, uh, these men could also relive their fantasy of um, how it was in the past where interracial uh, um, was encouraged, it was promoted before these laws. Because actually in 1908, there was a, um, a law enacted that, that banned, well, it was illegal for um, races to, um, to, to mix races to, to marry. Right. So, yeah. So they yeah. actually took a, a huge steps backwards from New Orleans because you know remember it wasn't um, it, it it wasn't an American city at all like it didn't even become um, American until 1803 with the purchase of Louisiana Purchase you know it was uh, it was a French outpost you know at the very beginning right like Old, we talked about older than the United States right where all this immigration was mm -hmm. just a big uh, point where they just like a big melting pot like they say. Yeah, I, I mean, and that is that is what it was, um, you know. And then there's, you know, also factor in the Creole race too, um, which is. Um, I I saw that was anybody because because I this gets very confusing for even people who live here. Um, I saw that Creole was um, a term that they they came up with. Um, at, after all the immigration to New Orleans, because that was anybody born in Louisiana after. It didn't matter what your race was. It, that's how they determined who 
was an immigrant who was actually born here. Right. Okay, wait, hold on. We have um, this just in. It's a person with mixed European you're and right. black descent, especially in the Caribbean. Okay. Yeah, you're right. And okay, and there we go. A lot of the Creole um, people in New Orleans were of French descent. Yes. And so Basin Street, again, was the main thoroughfare. Um, it's It was the entrance to Storyville. It's where all of the high-end mansions, three, four-story brownstones, uh, brick, uh, beautiful um, mansions were. And it's where the high-end prostitutes lived full-time. Because as... Um, as a requirement um, in the ordinance, not only did they work only in Storyville, they had to live, the prostitutes had to live in Storyville permanently. So um, the main line on Basin Street, you have the high end, and then the further back you go, um, city blockwise, the less um, quality um, houses you have. And they could range anywhere from those mansions all the way the down. middle class. Middle yeah. class. Um, obviously, price ranges are going to change the further back you go. But it goes um, all the way down to those cribs. And I don't know if those, you want to talk about those a little bit more. Those um, little one-room um, shanties, little shacks. And they just had a bed and a, a wash basin. And, and some of them didn't even have like when it, when I say wash basin, I mean like a pitcher and the bowl. You've seen them like those little antique. They have them antique shops. They even oh, have yeah. replicas, and they would even put them on a chair. Like that's all I know. That's all they had. Well, and I even read some some accounts where there was just a mattress in the street. Right, and then know? that was that was even further. So yeah. you go even further back, and they yeah. had a mattress in the street, and then those were the. Um, the ladies who would have, so they would come, they didn't live there even, so they would come and they would do, they would go to work essentially, and they, they had pimps, they would pay their pimps, and they would actually leave, and but then. They that was would, their side hustle. Right. <laughs> they could, but then they could, that would, they'd earn their money and they could um, go back to these bars or the, you know, saloons, because, because it wasn't just prostitution, like there were restaurants, there were saloons, dance halls, like they, they had um, a lot of the vaudeville uh, fed into that like the actors and performers mm-hmm. from vaudeville fed into this like the performers like it was really and gambling was huge and you mentioned that but it was just just this whole like mecca this area of, of, of any entertainment. vice any right. vice yes yes pick your poison right yeah absolutely yeah so i think it's interesting um the distinction in that and then also the class distinctions which we'll talk about a little bit later um as we get into the madams but i find it really fascinating their stories um these these um really uh influential women that um were really the 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 heart and soul of of storyville right and then the i mean we'll get into the madams but these madams were millionaires mm-hmm. in the 1800s. That's unheard of. Like that's like we said. Like everybody made money in Storyville. Yeah, there were everybody, you know that that had the backing from um, city officials and politicians, right. especially. You know, because there's a few women um, that had uh, really close relationships with city officials that we'll talk about. Um, you know, as we get into to their backstories, but they're it's really fascinating, right? 
And then, but see that that helped it as well. That could kind of solidify their positions as well. When you're where you when you're dealing with in a profession that's vice, right? You always want to have yeah, and and close too, ties to the politicians. Absolutely, because along with that comes you know their their financial backing for sure. But you know, one thing of note is that you know a lot of these women were befriended by these officials and politicians, but you know, only on their terms, like they were friendly with them and, and spent time with them and, um, you know, even had relations with them, but they were, they would not accept them in society outside of story. Well, they were women at the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they were, they were women and they were women of, um, of not ill ill repute no but but proprietors of houses of ill repute and assignation and everything that's 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 not acceptable and and oh right in um, your mainstream no right exactly and and also the the judges and i just want to point this out the the police officers the cops the judges they were all getting cakebacks too Mm -hmm. because they were and as it's been described as well they were coming up with all these different rules like every every time they turned around it was a different rule so they could violate it so they could get paid and then when they would get arrested because these women were getting arrested all the time well lulu for (laughs) one we'll talk about lulu right and then um so then the judges all the way down the line you know everybody was getting a piece of this storyville pie for sure so yeah well you mentioned lulu so yeah you want to start with her well so the ones that um i really found most interesting actually came before her okay um the first um excuse me is kate townsend um and her early life is a bit sketchy um she was Born in Ireland somewhere between 1833 and 1838. Um, Her name may have been Bridget or Catherine Cunningham. She um, moved to Liverpool, England, um, where she is said to have had twins and left them behind for um, America. First first moved to New York, stayed there for a very short time, and then made her way to New Orleans where she became a student of Clara Fisher's brothel. She then moved into Maggie Thompson's place, but um, that would be the last time that she was just one of the girls. She... um, Oh, yeah, because was she the one that was actually was a, a prostitute and then moved up to being a, a yes. madam? Okay. And she is one who was very friendly with um, prominent city officials and politicians, and she acquired finances to help her build her three-story marble brownstone at number 40 Basin Street. Um it's said to have been um, extremely expensive, but she had really gaudy taste. Right, I did see that. So, it cost in excess of $100,000, which is somewhere around $2.9, yeah. $3 million. Yeah, just, you know, today. With gaudy magnificence. Yeah, I mean... That would be me if I look. I'm just gonna lay it out there. If I ever strike it like filthy rich, I I would have gaudy taste. They say that about Elvis. They yeah, that he yeah. had gaudy taste. But you know what? I oh I'd be tacky as hell. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. There's a little insight. So Kate met um, T. Egbert Sykes or Bill. 
Um, and he would be her longtime lover or her fancy man. Wait a minute. It's Bill Sykes, isn't that the character in... Um Oh gosh, what is it? True Blood. No, 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 oh. no, no. Uh, please, sir, we have some more. Oh, um, Oliver Twist. Oliver Twist. There was this character <laughs> named Sykes. I don't know if that was Bill Sykes. Anyway, sorry, I forgot about that. No, I don't know. This is T. Egbert. But oh, they call T. him Egbert. Bill. Oh, <laughs> of course. Why wouldn't they? Um. So you know, in eight. In 1883, she met another man by the name of McClern, who would be, um, who would eventually uh, become her other interest. Um, he would come by and ask to borrow money from she and Bill. And um, when Bill expressed his displeasure with this, um, they uh, commenced to beating the hell out of him. Um, really. Together, yes. Oh, together. Together. um, Basically beat Bill up. um, And some of the house girls were were privy to... Yeah, and so uh, two of her house girls reportedly overheard her say that she would open his belly with a butcher knife. Whoa. Yeah, so... On November 3rd, 1883, she was found stabbed to death 11 times with a Bowie knife. Um, Wow. And what's interesting is back in 1870, the Picayune, New Orleans newspaper, reported two men having a knife fight outside of Kate Townsend's brothel. And this is reportedly um, the same knife used in her murder um, as she reportedly kept the Bowie knife for herself. So... The knife that he used to oh. kill her was a Bowie knife. So, oh. yeah. Wow. Um, Bill was uh, tried for her murder and acquitted. Um, Kate Townsend had left her entire state to him, and he was appointed executor, but later taken off because he failed to make deposits that were supposed to be credited to the estate and for making withdrawals without a court order. Wow. Right. So he basically. So what? So he killed her. Uh, right. Yeah. And basically screwed himself because he didn't do it according to um, the way <laughs> the will was written. Right. Genius. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. He's smart. Yeah. Um. So since she and Bill lived together um, in concubinage, the attorney gen- general allowed him one tenth interest in her estate only. Um, it was estimated to be worth around eighty one thousand, but that was actually uh, whittled down after debts, etc., to about thirty three thousand. Um, so he didn't get what he was. No, because legal counsel got thirty thousand right. dollars, leaving him with thirty four dollars. Sounds like Louisiana for right. Me. <laughs> I did see that they had passed a law during the whole Storyville tenure, which was 20 years, that um, at some point that there was, um, that you could not leave your estate and your affairs to your. Someone that you lived with. To your concubine. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, the concubinage law, that was very interesting. And I think that this affected so many of the madams, actually, in Storyville, because a lot of them did live in concubinage. Um, So this is something that was actually a recurring theme as I was um, researching this. So Kate's brothel was taken by public administration and leased by Molly Johnson until her death in 1889. 
Um, the house was sold to the Elks, and it, its contents were auctioned off in 1897 when the ordinance was passed to restrict prostitution in the district. So, you know, I, I think she's notable because um, she did meet with with this demise and um i think hers is a lot more unfortunate than some of the others however they there are some really um other interesting uh backstories to these women right and i i found that when the the day that he stabbed her 11 times that they the ladies of the house heard the scuffle or the i mean it's more than a scuffle i mean he ended up murdering her but uh, he had left the room, and so they had they saw her laying in the pool of her own blood, and he just merely walked out and said, "I had to do it," just nonchalant. Yeah, like had to be done. Yes. Wow. Right. Well, he got what he deserved with his thirty-four dollars. Right. So. Right. Okay. <laughs> Damn. That's, that's brutal. Another. Um, Madam Hattie Hamilton worked as a prostitute in a very popular brothel, um, a three-story brick mansion at 21 Basin Street, referred to simply as 21. Um, she actually met uh, statesman or Senator Beers, and he made her the manager of 21, although she would mostly leave the house in... Um, or leave the the housekeeper in charge, and she would spend her time with the senator along St. Charles Avenue pretending to be his wife. Ooh. Yeah, she couldn't be bothered with the day-to-day in the right, house. Right. She, she needed to be with her fancy man. Um, fancy man. So in 1870, these two had a fight, and reports of gunshots... Um, there were reports of gunshots, and Beers was later found dying from a gut wound as she sat next to him in a drunken state. Um, so she was arrested. She um, was released within 24 hours, and um, it's widely speculated that she was privy to secrets related to the senator, and his family um, wanted the investigation dropped um so apparently she has some dirt on old beers um (laughs) what it was i guess we'll never know um but after that her business did decline and she sold 21 and opened another brothel at 158 custom house um she later retired in virginia and left all of her property to a gentleman that had handled her business affairs and finances um, her estate was estimated at around two hundred thousand, but actual inventory made it more like two thousand um, dollars. Once her debts were settled and pared down, only about seven hundred dollars was left from her fortune. Um, she did have a son who received one tenth of, her, of um, the estate, and that amounted to about seventy dollars. Wow! So. Uh, I mean, they—that's a recurring theme here. Yeah, and it and it and it continues on. I mean, will you'll even see that when we get to to the um, most notable madams like Lulu and Willie. Um, but I think my favorite madam um, was Josie Arlington. Um, she was actually born in 1864. Uh, her name was Mary Dubler. Um, and she was born in the Carrollton neighborhood. Um, she began working as a prostitute at age 17 at various custom house, 
custom house brothels. Um, and then in 1888, she opened her own house at 172 Custom House. So she had this wild, um, hot temper. Uh, you know, she was just one of these women that you just didn't want to fuck with. And um, <laughs> right. um, she she was actually mistress uh, to Philip Lebrano while she worked as a prostitute. But then Lebrano actually shot and killed her brother in 1890. And that's when she decided um, she needed to get her shit together. <laughs> um, so she changed her name to Jos- Josie Arlington after her f- four-story, 16-bedroom brothel in the 200 block of Basin. Um, so she had in her employee um, exotic and educated girls that she called her nieces. Um, she was friends with Tom Anderson, um, who's a state, legisla- state legislator and the unofficial mayor of Storyville. Um, I think we could, we'll touch on him a little bit later. I mean, we're not going to touch on him, but we're going to touch on him. <laughs> yeah, I saw that she, um, she was, she, she had, um, the girls perform circus acts and she, uh, including fetishes and sadomasochists. Yeah, so, like, as I was reading this, I was like, oh, she was the kink queen, right? Yeah, right. Okay. That's a great way to describe her. She had these, these um, themed rooms, too. Oh, yeah. It, it, the sex circuses. Right. Um, right. So. That's where she gets your kink on. Right. Is I mean, essentially, it's publicly performed sex acts with these specialists um, for fetishes and S&M. Um, this, is, this is where you went to get... You like went, you said, yeah, the kink. The kink. Um, there was a famous dog, too. Um, yeah, that was on the documentary. I hope the dog was not involved in that. They did not oh, elaborate. They God. didn't elaborate, but they said um, that she had the dog and another. There was an act that involved her, another woman of the house, and then a dog. Nice. <laughs> Even had a picture. So, I, it, in. It, Robert and I, that's my husband, we were watching it, and I said, is that what I think it is? Oh, Jesus. Like, did, did, are they alluding to, like, it was, Ugh. the dog was involved, and we actually re- had to back it up and watch it again, and they were very, um, they did not go into detail at all, so just kind of left it to for you to decide, so I was, I think that's what they were saying. Yeah, well, that's disgusting, but it would not surprise me, because apparently there were no, like, there were no limits to what, what you could do in her right. house, um, and not just in her house. There and were, it made money, like, people, let's be real, people were paying money to see it. So. Right, and so for $5, um, you could, you could participate in these circuses, and these um these public acts and right. I mean, well honestly she actually became very very wealthy from right. all of this right um <clears throat> sex sells yeah so um she had a very lucrative business for um 10 years until a tragic fire destroyed the arlington um she and her girls moved to the space above Anderson's, um, Tom Anderson's, where she stayed until her retirement. Um, and this is where it gets super interesting. 
in my opinion. Um, so somewhere around 1910, she purchased a plot in Metairie Cemetery where um, some of New Orleans' um, most elite were laid to rest. Um, she actually had um, an elaborate red-brown, reddish-brown granite tomb built, and she commissioned a sculptor to create a bronze statue of a young woman trying to open the doors to the tomb. Wow. That's interesting. It is. Um, is it still there today? You can go see The it? tomb is there, but the family um, actually, she left her estate to her family, and once they ran through all of her money, they had to sell it. Oh, okay. um, so it's still there, doesn't belong to the family. Oh, but, wow. Yeah. So wow. I want to go see it. Yeah. But um, so um, the so you have the statue of the woman trying to open the doors to the tomb, and then the tomb is has two fiery torches flanking the top of each side, um, which, as you can imagine, caused quite a stir um, in, among New Orleans, uh, not just the elites, you know, people who had family right. um, that whose graves were in the cemetery, right. you know, it just it just. It didn't set well with... Um, no, because they were very... Um, it was all about church and going to church in this image, right? And so I can imagine they probably thought that was the demon and the oh, devil. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially um, because, you know, well, first of all, it, you know, it, it, it offended sensibilities because first you have a retired proprietor of a whorehouse right, you know, right, who's, who's buried right. next to your right. mom or dad. I mean, like, who wants that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that's not my, no, I know, but that was the thought of the day. That was, that was their thought process, not my own. Um, right. So, and I said that tongue in cheek, but you know, um, so again, you know, she's, she's, uh, she's buried among, you know, a, a, a total, She's a total maverick. Yes. Yes. Thank you. She's a total maverick. Oh, that's crazy. I love it, though, because back when a time when, when women were still suppressed and subjugated, she was just on her own. Well, that and, too, you know, she um, she was never really, again, like these other women, she was not accepted by high society. Right. You know, and, she, and she's, like, flipping her finger off at them. Her yeah. Finger. And she's like, like okay, okay, well, you didn't accept me in life. You're, right. you're going to have to accept yeah. me in the afterlife. Oh, I love it. I love yeah, that it's, attitude. It's a, it's a big F you. Right. But, um, so the tomb's design, of course, offended sensibilities and, um, was said to have represented the red light district, these fiery torches. Um, absolutely. And then some thought the statue, well, they're, you know, they, 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 they they spin these narratives, you know, um, the statue is of a woman, um, trying to, uh, a virgin's doomed attempt to enter <laughs> Josie's brothel or a young it. woman trying That's to salacious. I love it. Right. A young woman trying to sneak back in her father's house after a night of ill repute. Wow. Okay. So the statue was actually just something that she liked and she bought from right. Germany. That was all yeah. it was. Right. Um, but People began to report um, having seen lights dancing around her tomb um, <laughs> as if it, it were Josie trying to get. Well, OK, so as if it were Josie trying to get back in, because, as I said before, her heirs had um, 
actually had her remains moved before they sold it. They had her remains moved because of all the controversy. Well, so once they saw this light appearing to dance around the tomb, oh, that's Josie trying to get back in. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love a good New Orleans, like, eerie ghost story. Right, and it was not just, you know, one or two, you know, one – one off, two off, you know, whatever. It was crowds of people that reported right. seeing this. I can imagine. And um, the the phenomena um, actually was said to, at times, uh, not just flicker, but also it would appear that the tomb was bursting into flames. Um, so this phenomena was explained away by a flashing red light on New Basin um, Shell Road, uh, which was reflecting off of the mausoleum, or so that's what, you know, that's the way it was explained away. Um, and so in true fashion, they had the... Um, Red light removed, um, and then a cross was carved into the back of her tomb to to quell the right. the of something that they wanted, right? Yeah, because they because everyone else was the rest of society was uncomfortable, right? So we had to put everybody at ease. Right. So um, wow. that was done to subdue the the crowds and you know the stories getting out of control and out of hand, and and I can understand. You know, if you've got someone who's laid to rest there and there's all this controversy, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, come on. I know. I could, no, right. That's crazy. So, um, it's (laughs) even beyond that, the statue has been said to leave its post and wander the cemetery. Oh, of course it does. Of course it does. I love it. And two grave diggers reported having seen it leave its place on more than one occasion and um, they actually followed it one time only for it to suddenly disappear. Yeah, so (laughs) I mean There you go. There you go. Um, totally New Orleans. Yeah, absolutely. So those um, those three were uh, of particular interest to me. Um, but I think I think the the queens um, of the di- of the time were um, Lulu. Oh yeah, and uh, Willie. So so Lu- Lulu was born a slave. So she, and she was an octoroon. Which, like you said, that's seven-eighths white and one-eighth black. So, one of her great-grandparents was black. And so, all some... But some say that she was white claiming to be Octoroon. So, I heard, yeah, I yeah. came across that, too. But, um, so, mixed race was a paradox in the district because the rest of New Orleans was subjugated to the Jim Crow laws, as we mentioned before. So, uh, New Orleans, New Orleans was founded on interracial relationships. They were very prevalent, and they were very accepted, this was, you know, in the, the early days, of course. So, like I said, they took giant leaps backwards mm-hmm. once all the, the, you know, the Jim Crow laws and, and, and such. But um, there were so many people in mixed race. So, for example, like we talked about the term mulatto. Mm-hmm. And that's where that comes from. So, um, but sexual contact was tolerated, and it was actually promoted across the color lines in Storyville. Well, it's what men preferred. Right, exactly. That's it was what made preferred money. over white women. Absolutely. In fact, um, so we hadn't talked about the blue books, but there were blue books 
in um, in Storyville, which were created by Tom Anderson and another reporter. I don't know if it was from the Picayune, but but well, they, so Billy Strube, the manager of Tom Anderson's, um, actually published the Blue Books um, on okay. the top floor of Anderson's. So these were guidebooks, and what they had advertisements, and they had pictures of the women, and they would um, be essentially that's how they marketed their women so they even then they understood the value of trying to market oh absolutely oh you want a prostitute here's your guy (laughs) right and it was also interesting because they mailed them out and so they couldn't be pornographic due to the federal laws back Mm. then and through the mail um so that but they had a way to to describe them in such a way that they knew that they were you know they were prostitutes i mean let's be really right knew that was what was oh going yeah on. i mean because didn't they even have like didn't they even i may be wrong about this but didn't they even like put a price range uh, i'm not sure about that i know that they had advertisements and photos and these were only the high end um oh yeah that were in that made the blue books so and the octoroon women were were the showcased absolutely because they were the ones that made the money so um and lily white was an octoroon herself so her brothel was named mahogany hall because she reportedly she loved mahogany she even wore the mahogany beads on her neck yeah and a necklace so she was the stable of the octoroon brothels her ladies made the most money like we said um, because she, and then she knew how to make make money with them because she knew that's what they wanted and and um, as mentioned before that's when men can relive the fantasy of the racial fluidity of the past yeah and um, so she had four stories her her mansion was four stories that had five parlors and separate boudoirs with private baths she had diamonds on every finger she was dripping in diamonds and then yeah, wasn't she, wasn't her nickname Diamond Queen yes. So the, and the champagne flowed like water in her establishment. So she, and she was arrested many times. Oh and, yeah, I have her, and, I have a list here. And he, everything from disorderly management of her brothel to illegal liquor sales and um, a couple of violent offenses like attempted murder. So um, yeah, I have stabbing <laughs> with intent to murder and then operating a house for immoral purposes. <laughs> And that well, might no have been shit. The right and right, and that might have been one of those where they had changed the laws just to. Okay, to, yeah. so I thought about that when you mentioned it earlier, because I'm like, okay, so it's not illegal unless we don't like something you're doing, and then it's illegal, right? But the um, but the only time that she served any prison sentence was because for violating the draft act. Yeah, she. This was um, because. That when they enacted, and we'll get into a little bit of this later, but this is what what ultimately uh, was the ordinance that they had to shut Storyville yeah. down was because they were within five miles of a military base, and so after that ordinance was passed, she was um, she was in violation of that, and she was sentenced to one year, but she only served three months, and then when um, Storyville was shut down, she turned her. She was always a lady who knew how to. She, uh, she was a business lady. She always right. knew how to make money and survive. She was a survival. Survival? She was a survival. I'm a survival. I'm not <laughs> She's a survivor. So she turned her brothel into a fried chicken restaurant, and her ladies were the employees, and that lasted for 10 years. Okay, so and then 
I read that she lost her fortune over $150,000 in um, investment schemes, and she left New Orleans destitute. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was... See, I didn't come across the chicken restaurant, but I would be interested to know if it's still open today. Well, from what I understand, they they have torn down everything there because that became the Iberville... Mm-hmm. Wait, I just said I called it Iberville. It was they, a housing they, project. Right, which is now the new housing project yeah. after Katrina. Yeah, so um, so that's what I have of her. Um, yeah, you know, and it's, it's Storyville embodies um, powerful, rich white men um, being able to bend the rules of segregation. You right. know, only white men could patron right. these women and um, women of African descent were essentially exploited because yes. they they looked white right. but they were exotic and they were forbidden so they were preferred which I mean all the way around these women were exploited. I mean don't mm-hmm. get me wrong exploited. Don't get me wrong. They were making money for sure and I get that but at the same time what they didn't have many choices at all. Well and I think Lulu capitalized on their white likeness. Yeah, def- definitely. Um which you know. props to her, like, awesome. Like, yeah. she, she knew, like I said, she was a survivor. She knew how to make it. But then um, there was Willie Piazza. Yeah. She was known the as the, the Countess. She was the other octoroon madam. So she was born in 1865 in Jackson, Mississippi, to an unmarried teenage couple. And she was the daughter of Italian hotel operator and a black mother. Hmm. So some say she was passe pour blanc, which is passing for white. But, you know... Um, well, I saw his, her pictures. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, sometimes they were white passing, but the, I mean, I'm probably not going to dispute this. No, <laughs> how could you? She bought an upscale brothel, so the Piazza girls enjoyed one to two thousand dollars annually, which is quite that, that's huge. That's quite a bit of money. And then they could learn to read and write and afford other luxuries like um, going to dance halls, buying fine clothes, riding in purses. Carriages, and they tried to segregate Storyville and shut down her operation. But she took her uh, case to the Louisiana Supreme Court and won. That was Willie, and that was cool that she had sent her case to the Louisiana. Supreme yeah, Court I didn't realize that her case, that she had a case. Right. So good for her. Yeah, so. absolutely. And then, um, so you had talked about Tom Anderson. He's um, interesting character. He was the unofficial mayor of Storyville. He had the brothel at, on Basin Street, on Front Street. On the, the corner. On the corner. And if you watch, see any um, pictures, they almost always show the picture Anderson's. of Tom yeah. Anderson. So he, um, he was also a Louisiana legislator. So he was able to protect and lobby for Storyville and to keep it, um, the, all the, um, keep it, in good good standing, I guess. Like like I said, protect it. So for as long as he could. He had a handlebar mustache, and they said he always had a um, flower in his little pocket square. Little. I mean, he was supposedly a super likable guy. Like I, I didn't come across anything that made him, you know, scandalous or no. And um, so he opened his annex to um to what he had already existing, and. 
So his place, they had 100 cases of champagne. They said they were swimming in champagne for the end of the night. That his place was just, it was the largest bar in in the U.S. at that time. And he, it was also the one that had the, um, that was powered by the most, like, like powered by electricity at that time. As oh, well. wow. Yes. So he, he owned an oil company, which is interesting, too, which is why he, I'm sure... Why he was able to be uh, a legislator? Uh, they had a problem with mosquitoes in the sewer. Had a big problem with mosquitoes everywhere in in um, well, we still do in Louisiana. Right. That's our that state. Has, That's our that has state changed. But um, is the mosquito? <laughs> if anyone knows that, but um, he no, would, really, it is right. He would. <laughs> He donated oil from his company to put in the sewers because that would kill the mosquitoes. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, That's so, pretty innovative very, for then. Very. Like, it's not that, like, in the sewers, I don't know. But anyway, it killed the well, mosquitoes. Well, I mean, you know, it was probably better than any other um, mitigation measures they had back then anyway. Right. So, um, like we said, he created the, the Blue Books along with... Um, was it Stipe, Strobe, Billy Strobe? Yeah. So, and I think we we need to definitely talk about the Uptown um, Vice District, which was four or five blocks in Uptown New Orleans, actually where Louis Armstrong um, was born and grew up, um, and. Uh, this was actually Black, known as Black Storyville um, section uptown. Um, and this is actually where jazz musicians got their start. Um, not to say that this is, you know, how they became famous and um, kings among their craft, but it's where they started out making this music. And um, I listened to a podcast that um, was between the liner notes about Storyville, and it was all about the music. And um, I'm going to paraphrase, but um, the host said, you know, if you were to step off of a train or or arrive at Storyville by uh, any means of transportation, um, when you when you step off, you could hear the sounds of jazz being born um, because. This is truly um, born out of a melting pot of music, ragtime, right. blues, and West African music brought over by slaves. Um, actually, every Sunday, um, slaves were allowed to sing, chant, play music in Congo Square, um, which is now in Louis Armstrong Park in the Treme neighborhood across from the French Quarter. Um, but Louis Armstrong, Satchmo, Satch Pops, um, <laughs> was an American cornist, um, composer, vocalist, um, very meaningful to the city of New Orleans. Um, he has many uh, places named after him, parks, schools, even the airport. Right. Um, and then you have um, Jelly Roll Morton. Well, his, uh, well, Louis's mom was a oh, prostitute. Oh, she was. Yeah, we, we did want to mention that. She actually worked as a prostitute. Which is how he um, was in the Storyville area when jazz was being... And some people say that jazz was born out of Storyville, and that's not that's not the case. It was just, like you said, they the musicians had the, the liberties 
to the creative liberties to uh, hone their craft and, and perform to, and be exposed to crowds and people from all over the world. Right, and they wanted to make music sexy because mm-hmm. sex was in the air, and they wanted to keep the guys in the mood. They, these um, musicians were called professors, and they had to be human jukeboxes because they had to play whatever was requested of them. So they had to be able to read sheet, sheet music and be able to play by ear and like pick it up really good. So they were had to be really like well versed. And versatile musicians. Well, that's the thing. They were trained musicians. They weren't, you know, they were trained. And um, Jelly Roll Morton is actually jazz's first arranger of music. Yeah, okay. Um, So just fascinating for sure. We could probably do an entire episode on these On all of them, actually, yeah. Because Louis would um, sell coal to the... the, um, to the areas in uh, Storyville, and he wouldn't want to linger, and he mm-hmm. listened as long Drawn as he could. Drawn to it, right? And he he listened to King Oliver, King Joe Oliver, and he said he wanted to be the best cornist in Louisiana, and so he would got him a cornet and he practiced, and and then he became world renowned yeah. for this. But um, and I think he actually, um, I think he actually passed away. He had moved to new york or was in new york and passed away in new york but yeah he was world renowned and um like you know like i said very meaningful to the city still to this day right Um, all of these guys really well it's in the heartbeat it's in the pure fabric of new orleans when you especially in the french quarter area in frenchman street and you, you go to these areas and it's still alive and well in in the city today, that's why you hear the, all these musicians. You see them dancing on the street corner, and you see, oh yeah, you know, you, the, it's the music, it's the food, it's the like. Sex is never left. It's still no, it, it it absolutely didn't. Right, and um, it's it's there. The vices are there. That's why people that New Orleans is a destination place to go to have to sin. <laughs> well, it's like one of my professors in college said. You know, it's the it's the place where. Um, at times, like during Carnival or Mardi Gras, um, where the laws cease to exist. Right. You can get away with... I mean, it's not so much anymore. It used to be. <laughs> used to be you could get I away with still, pretty much anything. Oh, you still can. Yeah. Well... <laughs> mostly. Yeah. No, mostly. Yeah, I would say. But no, it's where you go to have a good time. Yeah. It's where you, like... Laissez le bon temps rouler, like they say. Oh, like yeah. They, the good times roll. Absolutely. Yeah. And like you said, Mardi Gras, that's a whole different podcast as well. But oh, that's, yeah. That's where the opera and the ball culture came in mm-hmm. when they wanted, um, the French wanted, when, the, when we talked about how we didn't have anything, uh, it was hard to populate, it was underpopulated, and they wanted something for the people to be attached to, so the French brought the opera, and that uh, turned into the ball culture, and then the Mardi Gras, and then all that. But um, Which is alive and well. Absolutely. But, um, so the... <laughs> Like we said, it was a public experiment and control of the areas of vice, and it it was um, it prospered for twenty years, for two decades. Like how that's that's remarkable, absolutely. And so the um, so it was the city. Well, it was the city within a city. It's like a tale of two cities, really. Absolutely. You had the vice, and then you had New Orleans. But um, so it, Storyville was enacted with an ordinance. And came it to an end. Came to an end with the ordinance because the Secretary of the Navy 
um, contacted the mayor of New Orleans, which was Martin Berman. He was um, the actually the longest serving mayor in New Orleans history from 1904 to 1920. And then again in 1925 until his death in 1926. So to this day, he's still the longest uh, mayor, the longest running mayor. Uh, but yeah, he lived well, on the West Bank in Algiers. And it, it was because... Um, Young men were entering World War One, and um, there was a high rate of venereal disease. And so, um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the ordinance state, you know, stipulated that um, you could not have a brothel within five miles of a military installation. Right. Josephus Daniels was the Secretary of the Navy, and he told Mayor Martin Berman to end Storyville. They actually had a phone. I, I, no, I think he actually went to see him personally. And, yeah. um, you know, they did it, they did it, everything they could to keep it there because it made a lot of money regardless. Like this was, st- it was a destination, um, a city for that reason as well. Oh yeah. Just for Storyville, people from all over the world. I mean, it was even called the, um, the Port of Missing Men, even though it was like a murder minute, they say. But, um, well, and so, you know, as a result of that, everyone that worked and, um, Storyville was they were essentially pushed out into the French Quarter to find right. work and you know prostitution kept going it just right. was right it didn't stop it dispersed yeah it all. was just it just became unregulated and Ill, you know was illegal everywhere right right yeah so I mean good effort yeah I, I get it good effort for for putting it together and making it uh yeah, it was successful. Sustainable for two decades. Absolutely. And a lot of people made a lot of money. A lot of people lost a lot of money, but, you know. It was there to be made, that's for sure. Yeah. And when they were excavating the area, they found tons of buttons because this is the pre-zipper days. <laughs> that's so funny. Right. And yeah, they just ripped them off. Ripping the right. buttons off. And they found cocaine bottles. They found heroin syringes. And they found guns where they wow. they said that they had probably like flushed them down the toilet. Probably. And it was in the pipes that were no longer there. Like all these guns. Yeah. So that's crazy. And that's, that's Storyville. Yeah. And, uh, in a think, nutshell. Yeah. I don't think, <laughs> I, you know. Not really. In a nutshell. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people know about you story can't put it in a nutshell. It's like stories within stories, and we there was even more that like we could. Just, oh, this we barely scratched we the did. surface. Yeah, but you know, each each section, each story within the story could be its own podcast. Absolutely. So, but we, you know, anyway, thank you so much you were listening. This is our debut podcast episode. Yeah, we actually. hope that you'll you'll come back. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, so> we. <laughs> well, that was stupid. You've been listening to Southern Discomfort with April and Christine. As you can tell, this is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. So we want you to be able to reach out to us. Send emails to Southern Discomfort Podcast at gmail.com. On Facebook at Southern Discomfort Podcast. And on Instagram at Southern Discomfort PC. And for shows, visit Southern Discomfort.podbean.com. And this podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. Till next time, keep one eye open because you never know what you might see. This is Southern Discomfort. Signing off.